Dragon the Peg is recorded in Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. The spring dark lady gypsy, goddess of life after love, Sharon Sherlight Lamar. Welcome to Dragon the Peg, a podcast series exploring the lives and careers of drag performers living in Winnipeg, Canada. My name is Graham Hooson, and I'll be your host. Before we get started, it's important for me to explain the concept of drag families and houses if you aren't familiar or haven't gleaned exactly what it means from previous episodes. When a young performer is looking to start their drag journey, it's common for a more established queen or king to take them under their wing and show them the ropes, from simple things like makeup and hair to booking gigs and making connections. Sometimes, the younger performer will be taken on as the older performer's drag child and joins their family. Sometimes they take on their name, like how Ivana Lamour took Vita Lamour's surname, and sometimes not. The head of the family is often called a mother, and family connections are established the same way as birth families. You can have aunties, uncles, grandmas, cousins, and more. The drag family name can also be given to other performers with whom the mother has a strong family-like connection. But regardless of how a name is passed on, it's always an honor, especially in Winnipeg, where our interconnected houses date back decades to the very start of drag in our city. It's important for you to know the meaning of drag families considering this episode's guest. When I started doing drag, although I thought I knew mostly what I was doing, I needed a helping hand. So I reached out to a queen who welcomed me into the scene with open arms and never failed to amaze me with her incredible, completely unique looks and energetic performances. Before my first performance in January, she inducted me into her house, the House of Sherlag. As a daughter of Vita Lamour, I also became a member of the Lamour Coven. This episode's guest has done more for my drag than anyone else, and I'm not sure I can ever thank her enough for showing me the ropes of this multifaceted counterculture. So without further ado, please welcome mother of the House of Sharelike and a daughter of the Lamore Coven, my drag mother, Sharon Sharelike. My name is Sharon Sharelike Lamore, and I've been doing drag here in Winnipeg for the past 10 years. So your first name is inspired by Cher. Yes. How did it feel when you met the real Cher for the first time last year? Oh my god, it was everything. <laughs> I had idolized her my entire life, well, pretty much, since I was 8 years old. So... Meeting her was everything I wanted it more. She was so real. She was so cool. Mm-hmm. You know? And she made me feel special. So Did you meet her in drag or out of drag? I met her in drag, yeah. I got ready and uh so after the concert I got escorted backstage and wow. got to meet her. I had her autograph my arm and I got tattooed. Really? Mm-hmm. That's so cool. But you mentioned Cher in your documentary, including the little voicemail thing. Yeah. And your documentary, it came out over two years ago, and now it has over 13,000 views on YouTube. How does it feel knowing so many people watched and resonated with your story? I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm happy that maybe some other people could be touched by it or, you know, find some sort of encouragement or inspiration from it. Yeah, it makes me feel really good that... Because it just started out as just a project for a friend of mine. She asked me to do it. Her name is Shanae, uh, Shanae Smith. Um, we went to school together, and she asked me if I would do this for her and um, it turned out to be amazing I love it and it was done so well the filming was done so well and I feel like everything that we touched on was very very important in it you also or at the end it says that you hosted Portage La Prairie's first ever drag social in 2016 was that yes uh what did that feel like hosting the first ever because that's your hometown as well right it is so I'm one of the organizers of Portage Pride 
And so every year we've done um, a social. The first one, um, well, all of them I get terrified for. I don't know how I do anything. <laughs> I get terrified for everything I do. But uh, performing in front of like your hometown and people that you've grown up with or people that don't um, necessarily get exposed to drag at all, it was mm-hmm. scary. But it was a lot of fun. I'm really glad that we did it. We're going to continue doing it. Also in the documentary, you talk a little bit about all the bullying that you experienced right. when you were a kid in Portage. How do you think that affected you eventually becoming a drag queen? Well, I think it helped me develop a thicker skin, that's for sure, because not everybody's going to like what you do, and not everybody's going to accept you for who you are. That's just the way life is, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, though, I, I, I lived in Portage, and I lived in Brandon as well, and I would drive to Portage and get ready, and I would purposely forget to for, uh, get things, you know, in quotations. I would forget to get lashes, or I would forget to pump my gas so that I would do those things in drag so that people could see me. I tried to push the envelope a little bit mm-hmm. so they could see that, you know, I'm going to do this regardless of what you think. Did anybody recognize you specifically? Oh, for sure. It was a big thing. Like when I came out and then later became a drag queen, it was uh, like, Portage is small and everybody kind of knows each other. So it was a big talk in town that I was doing it mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And that eventually got background to your family. I told my family before everyone started talking about it, except for my dad. My dad found out from other people. <laughs> he didn't hear it from me. And then you also talk about your father coming to see you. Yes. Yeah, he came and saw me um, when I was Entertainer of the Year uh, here in Winnipeg in 2009. Uh, he came to my step down. So you got to see me, like, my last hurrah. It was, it was a <laughs> lot of fun. But that was scary, too. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. What was it? What was it like seeing him in the crowd and being so supportive of you? Uh, I was extremely, um, well, I was proud of him because that was a big step for him because he had never been to a gay bar before. <laughs> He'd never seen me in drag before. So it was a lot for him. Certainly not his his thing, but he's extremely proud of me and what I do. And uh, he brags about me to his friends. and <laughs> it's, it's super cute. That's adorable. Yeah. So you talk about doing drag almost every weekend for the past eight years when the documentary came out. Right. Wearing all that makeup, wearing crazy heels and performing that often. What are some of the side effects of that that you noticed? Well, first of all, drag is not comfortable at all. Long hours spent in heels and makeup. So you like for myself, like I would break out the next day. I hate my skin like after I've been in drag the night before. I just I feel like I'll look awful the next day. <laughs> and yeah, of course, like because I have to corset myself and and wear heels and whatever. Uh, like, yeah, you get back pain. Your, your body aches after your feet hurt. The day after doing drag, you just want to, like, do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, you said that you first became inspired to do drag after watching some of the queens at Brandon's first Pride. Yes. What was that kind of experience like then having one of the girls who would eventually become your sister, Lita Tequila, kind of help you get your first gig and, and teach you kind of the ropes? Uh, it was amazing. I'm like forever grateful for her. We're like best friends. Um, at the time, I watched her perform, and she just was so confident, so fearless. And at that time, it's weird to think, but at that time, I was fairly shy, and I just I wanted to break out of my shell. And I was always like a performer. I was always into theater or music, mm-hmm. and I felt like I was going to be able to do those things by being a drag queen. And I just wanted to to be fearless like her. So yeah, one time I got everything together. She gave me her phone number, and we decided to meet up and I did a show all on the same night so I got ready in Portage drove in while in drag met up with her for the first time hung out with her before the bar 
Then we went to two geos, and I performed all on the same night. Jeez. I figured that if I was going to do it, I was going to do it all in one go. And if I sucked, that was it. You know, okay, well, it's not for me. Move on. Right. But ever since, I haven't stopped. It's been 10 years now. And so that performance must have turned out really, really well. I'd like to think so. Um, <laughs> I'm, there's no recordings of it. So I'm glad I can't look back on it because it's probably not as good as what I thought it was. <laughs> but the first song I ever did was Madonna's Vogue because oh. it was her 50th birthday uh, show that we did. So everybody did Madonna songs. What was the experience being really nervous about it and then getting on stage? Were you still nervous when you were up there? Or? Oh, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I feel like when you do drag and when you do it for the first time and you perform, like you're really at the mercy of the crowd, right? You're, mm-hmm. really, you're really laying it out there. And either they like you or they don't. So, you know, I was I was cute. I was one of the pretty ones back in the day. I, like, I think I still am, but, you know, uh, back then. And I paint very different from the other girls. I'm not as overdrawn like some other girls are, you know. I'm still a character, but um, it's just my own style. Yeah. Yeah. So some of that confidence that you found through drag, have you found that that leaked into your life out of drag as well? Oh, 100%. It translates back to your your real life for sure. Now I have no issues public speaking. You know, it's given me confidence. Like, I honestly, it's kind of sad, but at that time, being so young and vulnerable, I just never felt beautiful. I never really did. I didn't have any confidence. And in becoming Sharon, it allowed me to have those things in my everyday life, mm-hmm. which is amazing. So I'm forever grateful for my drag career. It's given me opportunities that I never would have gotten as, as William. What are some of those opportunities? The people that I've met, like, I mean... I, I like to think that I'm like just like everybody else, right? So if you can't go into some club in Las Vegas and just get on stage and perform, right? So mm-hmm. I, being Sharon, I've been able to do those things. I've been able to perform at various venues uh, across Canada and in the States and then like hang out with people that have been doing it forever, like RuPaul Queens, you know, um, people mm-hmm. that you've looked up to or you've seen like uh, on TV. What would you say are some of the experiences since you've traveled with doing drag, what are some of the experiences performing drag in other cities versus in Winnipeg? Or I guess what are kind of the differences? Well, it depend. It really depends on the city and the venue. My favorite venue that I've performed at outside of Winnipeg, ooh, probably Piranha in Las Vegas because I felt like that was a big deal. First time I did it, it was packed. And it has like a VIP upper floor and it's like it has like a balcony, like a square balcony and you look down from above. Mm-hmm. So I remember perform- performing and looking up and having all those people looking down from above as I was performing. So that was super neat, you know, to kind of rub shoulders with, uh, you know, seasoned Vegas performers. And mm-hmm. then there was me from Winnipeg performing with them. It's like a showgirl moment. It totally was. It was so <laughs> much fun. I'm really glad that I that I had that opportunity and I have like an open invitation to perform in Vegas whenever I'm there. Having seen you perform, you really have this like very fun, super energetic energy to you and you light up a crowd. I really appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) How do you get a crowd going like that? Mm, I always have tried to make a connection with my audience. So I try to play to whatever crowd that we're going to be playing to right Mm -hmm. and every song I've ever done has has to have been a song that I'm feeling like I have to feel it emotionally I'm a fairly emotional person I don't just get up there and go okay we're gonna party tonight and I'm just gonna do this dance (laughs) track and I'm gonna you know whip my hair around I'm not shading anybody but I'm just saying that that's not my style Mm -hmm. right I need to feel a connection with the the lyrics 
And I, I think that that translates to my audience. I, I think that they feel what I'm feeling when I'm delivering it. So then now that you're one of the more established queens in the city, teaching some new girls kind of the ropes of drags, including Jinx Nouveau, who's, who's really, really huge now. Yes. What's that like, being able to pass on that knowledge? Well, yeah, so Jinx is my drag daughter. And when I first met her, she was just this shy, timid, androgynous boy. Mm -hmm. I saw her sitting at a, on a stool at Geo's, and I instantly thought, okay, well, she's mine. When I walked <laughs> into the club, I'm like, she is absolutely stunning. And I just... I felt like as a drag mother, like my style of being a drag mother is just passing on like life knowledge in terms of like what it's like to be gay and being out and being a drag queen and being fabulous. Mm -hmm. uh, she was already very aesthetically pleasing. Like she just needed to learn her own way. So I didn't have to teach her much in, in terms of that. Just being there for her and being someone that's always going to be in her corner and always have her back. That's like kind of my style of being a drag mother. So seeing her flourish and come into herself and become so popular, especially online, it's extremely proud. I'm very happy with everything that she does. And now looking back at, I think, is it about 10 years that you've been doing drag? Yeah, it was 10 years in August. 10 years in mm -hmm. August. Looking back, what are some of your favorite memories of drag? Oh, God. There's so many. <laughs> well, performing in Vegas, for sure. First Portage Pride. Performing in Winnipeg Pride. That's the biggest crowd we've ever performed in front of. Like. Mm -hmm approximately 40,000 people come out for that, right? So right before going on stage, like that rush that you feel when you're backstage with your girls, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. You hear the people cheer, and then when the track starts and you go out on stage and you see all the people rushing towards the stage to get closer, mm -hmm. it's the it's the greatest feeling ever. It's it's terrifying. Like I said, like everything they do is so scary, <laughs> but um, it's, it's the best. Like afterwards, all of us girls are like hugging and high-fiving and taking shots and having a good time, but I would say that pride is probably my favorite. So having that kind of fear before going on stage, how do you get over that to get on stage? You know, um, some of the greats always have um, stage fright, like Cher still does, Barbara Streisand. I'm not comparing myself to them, let's get real. <laughs> but um, I feel that it keeps me on my toes, and it makes me uh, – well, I always – well, I'm not going to say – that I always, but I try my best to always remain as super real, as real as you can while you're drag queen, right? Yeah, as soon as that song starts and the first like note comes out of your track, you just know that there's no going back. So I just put one foot in front of the other, just like I do in life, and just keep going on. Some of the other girls have mentioned that community sense of Winnipeg's drag right. scene. Do you see that a lot in other cities as well, since you've toured before? I would say Winnipeg is the greatest for it i i know that um, other cities can be very clicky or people just aren't close and it's very cutthroat some places are um winnipeg in general now especially isn't i find that everybody has uh, a sense of camaraderie and everybody loves each other for the most part i mean like everybody <laughs> fights once in a while but i mean winnipeg is super tight all of us girls like genuinely care about each other and we each have each other's back and i think that's super important um and we've remain super professional in terms like when it comes to doing gigs and stuff we mm -hmm. we share the gigs in it just for ourselves and i think that other cities when they come they we have we have the best hospitality so when people come we're going to show them a good time mm -hmm. and that's what um uh, other performers have said when they come here to visit um or people that have just visited the gay scene you know winnipeg been on a trip or whatever um, we show everybody a, a really great time and they leave with a with a memory for sure. So kind of going back to 
some of the best experiences in drag. After 10 years, what are some of the worst experiences of drag that you've had? Mm. The absolute worst was when I was assaulted. I was assaulted in downtown Winnipeg a few years ago. Um, this guy was uh, making fun of a friend of mine who was in drag, and she was from out of town, so I had taken her to one of the bars, and we were walking together, and she was a few steps ahead of me. And she's taller than me, and she, like I said before about being overdrawn, like she's like, when you think of drag, like she's like a man, a man, right? Like you can tell that she's a man. Whereas myself, when I go out, I can sometimes blend in. Mm -hmm. So he was making fun of her. And so I ran ahead of her, and I was like, this is like 20, what was it, like 2016. And I said that to him, and I'm like, no, look at me when I'm talking to you. And then a friend of his jumped out of a car, and knocked me down and had and held a knife up to my throat and said that he wanted to kill me. So that moment is by far the, the worst moment because at that moment I thought that I was just going to lay there in the street and die. You know, there's a level of hate that still exists in the world that is super terrifying. And it, it after having that moment, it made you really think about what's important and how you really have to take care of yourself and be aware of your surroundings. I always tell like the girls like, like no more walking out at night by yourself. Like you have to be with somebody when you're when you're out and about because this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. Like there have been gay bashings in Winnipeg, you know. So, yeah, that, that's hands down the worst moment. How did you get out of that situation? You know, I, it happened so quickly because he was like standing over top of me with the knife, and he was saying that he wanted to kill me. And I remember looking over at my friend and just the terror on her face. I thought, okay, well this is it, and. He and I was like in full drag in a gown, so I couldn't like get myself up off the ground. It was too heavy. But he was distracted by somebody long enough for me to like get up from underneath them. I don't know how. And I just ran. I ran to the nearest club and, and got inside and they took care of me and the police were called. But uh, that was by far the most terrifying moment of my entire life. Mm -hmm. You know, no one should ever experience like that moment where you think, okay, well, you've lived a good life. You know, one of these times, like, when he's standing over you, like the knife's gonna go in. And I hate to be such a downer, but like that that moment was awful, terrifying. And then for you doing drag, continuing off of that, did that scare you away from it or did no, that motivate you? I, I knew that I kind of had to be an advocate for, you know, getting back on the horse. And I did drag the following weekend. Was I vulnerable? Like 100%. But my sisters, we all went out together. I went and I got in drag with them and we all went out and it was. It was fine, but things things like that, they stick with you, right? You know, and uh, every time I walk up to a car, I have my car keys ready. I'm constantly looking around. It makes you more aware, you know, of, of what's happening around you because it, things like that happen so quick. And it's just, it, it disgusts me that by my expressing myself that someone would connect with that and it was so much hate, you know, mm -hmm. that they would want to end end my life. You know, it's 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 really too bad. People should be aware that 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 can happen. It shouldn't, you know, mm -hmm. in today's world, it shouldn't happen, um, but it can. And you just need to really look out for one another. But also in saying that, like, you can't let people stop you from doing what you love. You know, like I said, I was in drag the following weekend. And then the weekend after that, I was in Toronto mm -hmm. and I did drag out in Toronto. And, you know, like, um, uh, you can't let haters get in the way of you living your truth. And I feel like drag is part of my truth, part of my life, part of what I do. 
and nobody is going to stop that. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. No problem. Uh, on to RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> um, when a touring queen, like a like a girl from RuPaul's Drag Race, comes right. in, you either open for them sometimes and you perform with them. Right. What's it like meeting some of those girls that you've seen on on? You know, TV and stuff? they're just like any other girl, but they just have a lot of exposure, right? They have they have, were given a platform, and they they deserve it, right? Like they they were they were picked to be on the show and. However, they've placed like they've they've earned that right and they've they've earned that exposure. But working with them, they're just like any other girl that comes up through the you know the bar circuit or coming up through the bar system. It's the same thing, mm-hmm. you know. Some of them are divas. Some of them uh, are not fun to work with. But I've been very fortunate, and the ones that I have worked with have been so great, and they've, we've become friends and we keep in touch. You know, if I'm out in another city or and we come, you know, we meet up or whatever. It's great, and I've become like really good friends with some of them. I actually knew um, Chad Michaels before he was on Drag Race. I met him before I started doing drag. Oh. So Chad and I are pretty close, you know. And then when Sharon Needles came to town, I, I became good friends with her, you know, and and Raja. So like there's other girls that you you keep tabs with and you talk to, you know, mm-hmm. after working with them. That's so cool, especially mm-hmm. since they're so busy. I can imagine a lot. Yeah, well, a lot of them are really, really busy. I'm actually going on a cruise next month and chad michaels is the headliner on the cruise so i'm going to get to hang out with him and and, and his partner and some of the other share fans that are going to be on the ship and i'm looking forward to it because uh, yeah we've been friends for over 10 years now so cool are you going to be performing on that cruise as well we'll see we'll see <laughs> i'm bringing drag with me so we'll see what happens and you spoke to the uniter last year about touring queens and kind of the difference in crowds when like a rupaul girl comes into town versus when like a local girl is performing um, and then also the pay difference. So if you don't mind me asking, when you get booked to play a show, what's kind of like the pay rate for that? Oh, God, it really depends. It really, really depends. Um, some places pay as low as $40, and then some places pay, I don't know, I, I think the most I was paid for like a single performance, like maybe maybe $200. Mm-hmm. You know, it really depends on what you're doing, you know, but um a lot of us in the city now are trying to advocate that we are worth, you know, being paid for. Because a lot of shows haven't even been free. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even getting any kind of pay is great, right? But um, we're trying now to try to turn things around and show people that we are artists. And what we do is a lot of work. It takes it takes a lot of a lot of money and, and effort to do what we do. Drag is not a cheap hobby, you know? Like, it's not like one of those things that you're just like, okay, I'm just going to go... And, you know, get a dollar wig and go out. Like, no, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's ways that you can cut corners and make it cheaper. But as a whole, it is not, you know. So the pay difference between, a, like, a regular performer and a RuPaul girl is obviously vastly different, right? Because mm-hmm. when these girls come in, they pack the place. That's something to be said about, you know, the crowds that come in as well, right? Mm-hmm. So if a RuPaul girl comes in, that bar is going to be packed. You know, sometimes they'll line up down the street. Right. And all these people come out and support them. What's frustrating, though, to me is that these people come out and they get right up in the front and then they're tipping these queens. They're tipping them, you know, 10, 20 dollars, you know, just for that moment of recognition. Right. So they can connect with this performer mm-hmm. and they come to our shows and we and they don't. So it's like, really, these girls are making thousands of dollars to be here. 
and you're up there tipping them so you have this moment which, and you know what they deserve it of course they do but i feel like us queens and winnipeg deserve it just as much and i think that a lot of people who don't participate in the drag scene a lot don't understand kind of the practice of tipping queens how important is is tipping for local girls I think it can be very important for some, right? Because uh, some people might not, you know, have a well-paying job and they've saved whatever they could to put together whatever outfit that they're wearing that night. And, you know, sometimes when they go to the club, it doesn't even co- cover the cost of, you know, the the bus fare or the, yeah, the cabs to get there, right? And mm-hmm. you're out there trying to entertain people. And if you like what you see, yeah, tip a girl. It means a lot. Like, not necessarily just to myself, but everybody. Everybody likes to feel appreciated. And and like I said, like, it's it's not it's not a cheap sport to be a drag queen, you know? <laughs> it's, it's it's expensive. Also kind of back on that RuPaul thing. Yeah. Um, since you have been doing drag for almost a decade now. Right. Over a decade. Over actually. a decade now, over yeah. Over a decade. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed more opportunities for performing drag pop-up since RuPaul's Drag Race? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 100%. Um, so like getting to open for girls is great, you know, getting to work with them is wonderful and getting to perform in front of a packed crowd is wonderful as well. Right. Cause we live for that energy, that connection with the, with the audience, you know? Mm-hmm. And so because drag is becoming more mainstream, there's a lot more opportunities that do come up. But in saying that as well, it's like people only want to see the, the famous girls, right? Like if there's a, like a random Friday night show, you're not, you might not get a good draw and people might not come out and see you. Mm-hmm. So you put all that money into your look and, you know, what, what you're doing that night and people don't show up. It's It can be, you know, frustrating or, you know, disheartening sometimes. And since you have toured before, what would kind of your advice be for, for the touring drag queen? <laughs> oh, God. Make sure you pack everything that you need because trying to find something in a random foreign city is sometimes very hard mm-hmm. you know i have like my my basics like there's some things that have to be with me when i'm in drag so i make sure that i go over that like i actually put that in a separate bag and then put that bag inside the suitcase so i make sure that i have everything because i'm not walking out there with, without my dancer's tights like i need dancer's tights to cover up my leg hair because i don't shave my legs <laughs> my corset you know and certain things like that keep like your your shape your body you mm-hmm. know like you need those things for for drag. Like if you forget like an eyeliner or something like boohoo, you go get one. Mm-hmm. But there's certain things that you need. And, and also, if I, my advice to you know newer queens that are getting out there and and starting to travel or, or even just in the, in the city, remain humble. Always be humble. If someone asks you for a photo or an autograph, as silly as that sounds, some people do, do it, do it, because those people will remember you for that. You know. Someone, actually, Chad Michaels had told me that before I started doing drag. Uh, he said, there are enough queens out there that have attitudes, so don't bring that to the table. You know, always be humble. And that stuck with me. So, um, like he had said earlier with uh, how, like, my audience or the crowd always gets amped up when I come out on stage. Maybe it has to do with the fact that I've always been real with them. Is there is there anything else you'd like to add for listeners, either who know the drag scene, know you? Or don't at all. I would like to say thank you for supporting me over the last 10 years. It's been amazing. It's been an amazing experience. And I am so far from being finished. And come out to the shows. Come out to the shows and tip your local girls because it's uh, 
it's not cheap, like I said, and um, it takes a lot of money to look as cheap as we do sometimes, <laughs> right? Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much to Sharon for sitting down with me. Our next guest is one of the most prominent queens in our city today. As Miss Club 200 2018 to 2019, she's the glue holding our city's drag scene together in the meeting place that is Club 200. Here's a clip from her interview. To the world, I present as a cisgendered white male. You know, you can't you can't look down the street and visibly know that I'm gay and I'm a drag queen or I'm gender fluid or something like that. Mm-hmm. And an interesting sort of epiphany to me was that the minute I donned a dress and a wig is how differently the world treated me. In some ways, it was great because, you know, you're applauded for doing something so, quote unquote, brave by, you know, defying the gender norms. But then on the other hand, I've also felt your own sort of body autonomy gets taken from you in some sort of instances. Thanks again to the lovely Claire Boning of Veneer for the amazing intro and outro music and to Red River College for letting me use your audio equipment. Until next episode, remember to always tip your local drag queens.